Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 uh, for our study today. We are going to, or I'm sorry, Matthew 24, I said 4, but Matthew 24 for this study this morning. We are going to look at some incredible things that God is saying through his word uh, regarding the end times events. Um, one of the, I received probably the greatest compliment I think I have ever received in all of my uh, time of preaching, and I received it this week, and it was from my daughter Alyssa and her husband, my son-in-law Chase. They live in Vancouver, Washington, and I was talking to Alyssa on the phone. And she said that she and her husband thought of my sermon series on the end games. Uh, they said it was, quote, this is their words, it was Netflix bingeable. Now, for you older people who may not know exactly what that means, that means that they were starting to watch the sermon series and they felt like they just watched one episode after another uh, because it was, uh, it was very helpful to them. So I, I like that title and I want to put that on our website and Facebook page. Pastor Aaron's sermons are Netflix bingeable. So... <laughs> Stephen, make that happen, <laughs> all right? Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to look at today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24, and we are going to see what God says about the end times events. Now, what we have been studying in this series is not our own perceptions of what the end times should be, or what other people think that they might be, or what other conspiracies say that they are. What we are looking at and what we have been dealing with is what the Bible actually says about the events that will happen at the end of the age, at what the Bible says are the end of all things. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is going to give us the story and the picture of the events that will happen at the end of all things. He's going to give us an indication of what we should be listening to. Sometimes the end times events can feel a little bit like sci-fi or a fantasy novel, but Jesus himself said these words. He didn't say them in hyperbole. They are not parabolic language that he is using. He is saying literal things that we need to pay attention to. If Jesus said it, then it, it really behooves us to pay attention and to uh, listen to what he is saying. Today, as we jump back into Matthew 24, which are Jesus' words about the end times events, the title that we are going to look at is The Beginning Signs of the End of All Things. Now, last week, we looked at the primary sign. The first thing that Jesus says, he's going to talk about deception. But today, he's, we're going to pair that with the rest of the things that he said, which are the beginning signs of the end times events, before the return of the Lord. So let's look at this together. We're going to start in the book of Matthew, 
We're going to look at Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 3. Now, we read this last week, but I want to remind you of it so that you understand the context of what is going on. Here's what the Bible says. It says, as he, that is as Jesus, is sitting on the Mount of Olives. Now, again, remember the context. Jesus was just in the temple. He had confronted all of the hypocritical religious leaders in the temple. He had also said a prophecy of what was going to happen. He said at the very end of chapter 23, your house will be left to you desolate. Now they would, the Jewish people would have understood immediately what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was referring to the book of Daniel. All of the Jewish people knew this. In the book of Daniel, Daniel lays out the events that will happen at the end of days before the return of the Lord. The things that Daniel lays out in chapter 7 through 12 of the book of Daniel, he says this. This is the summary. He says, first, the Antichrist will arise. Second, Israel will be invaded. Third, Jerusalem will be destroyed and the temple will be desolated. Then you will see the Son of Man return on the clouds. That's what the book of Daniel says. Jesus is giving a prophecy referring to that. Now, the disciples were talking with Jesus as Jesus walked from the temple about a 30-minute walk to the Mount of Olives. Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives. They were overlooking the temple. The disciples came to him and said, tell us what you mean. Explain to us exactly what you mean. The disciples asked Jesus these three questions. They came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Those are the three questions that they're asking. They're saying, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming again, Jesus? I know you're going to leave. What will be the sign of your return? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? What can we look for What should we be paying attention to? The way that I can relate this is kind of like you're getting on the interstate and you're going to take a journey. You've got a destination in mind. You're in the car. You get on the on-ramp. You get onto the interstate and there are road signs. Those road signs will tell you the mileage. They will say, okay, now you're 500 miles. Now you're 475 miles. Now you're 450 miles. All the way until you get to the city limit sign. When you're at the city limit sign, you know, I am almost there. Now I just have a short amount of distance to go from the city limits to my place where I am staying or the place where I want to visit. Jesus is giving the signs that are on the highway. He's giving the mileage marker signs. They say to him, what are the signs? What are the signs of your coming? What are the signs of the end of the age? So Jesus is going to answer them and give them the signs. He's going to give them the signs of these things, the abomination of desolation, the destruction of Jerusalem, the rise of the Antichrist, the return of the Lord. Here are the signs. And I want to share four signs that he is going to give to us in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, that we should be paying attention to. These are important signs. As Chris mentioned in the announcements, it's a good sermon, but it's kind of scary because you can start seeing that the signs are 
being, uh, being observed. They are, they're, they're starting to show up. We don't know how, how much so, but the signs are starting to be fulfilled. There's a convergence that is happening. So let's look at this. They asked him, what is the sign? What are the signs? When will these things happen? What is the sign of your coming? What is the sign of the end of the age? Jesus, Yeshua, Yeshua, Jesus. Yeshua is his name in Hebrew. Yeshua, Jesus answered them, be careful that no one leads you astray or deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will deceive many or lead many astray. That's sign number one. The first sign he said you could start paying attention to, the first signpost is be careful that you are not being led astray, that you are not being deceived. The first mile marker, the first signpost is this, truth will be under attack. Truth is going to be under attack. I said last week that truth, God's word, sound doctrine is the thing that we are anchored to. But there will come a time where the anchor is pulled up and we are drifting on the waves of society. We are drifting on the opinion of society. I am uh, about six months away from turning 50. And I'll let the gasps, uh, you know, go here. You're so shocked by that statement, I'm sure. About six months. In my 50 years of life, I have seen truth come under attack more and more. It is more and more pervasive. It is, it is deeper. It is more involved. I have seen truth come under attack. The things that the Bible talks about, for example, with regards to like marriage. Marriage was seen as sacred. It was seen as holy. It was seen as, as a covenant relationship. But now marriage is no longer holy. It's no longer sacred. People are more, more and more common that they're just living together. They're not getting married. Um, that is, by the way, what the Bible refers to as sexual immorality. More and more attacks on marriage. Marriage is no longer the way God designed it. He designed it to be a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. It's no longer that. Now marriage can be not just between a man and a woman. It could be between uh, same-sex partners, but it's going to expand even more than that. Just watch. The definition of marriage is constantly changing because truth is under attack. The truth with regards to the family is under attack. Family structure that the Bible talks about and defines is no longer no longer something you could be anchored in. In fact, if you look at look at the Marxist movements that are happening, you look in particular at like BLM that is happening. You have to pay attention because it is an attack upon the family. The BLM statement of belief, statement of, uh, it would be equivalent to a church's statement of faith. They stated on their website these words, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family. What does that mean? It means we don't believe in what the Bible says about family. Family is under attack. Truth is under attack. The church will be under attack. No longer will churches be able to speak the truth of God's word. It will have to be filtered and it will have to be, um, it will have to be edited because free speech will be under attack. If you look at Gender. There are no longer male and female, as the Bible says that God created them, male and female. Now, gender is any notion of dozens of, uh, of definitions that you want to pick from. 
because that truth is under attack. Life itself has always been under attack. Life. Now, I am unapologetically pro-life. I believe in life. God values life. Do you know that God brought judgment upon nations because of the way that they handled the children? Life, killing life is an abomination to God. But it doesn't even stop now at abortion. Do you know that the latest thing, the thing that they are pushing for now is called infanticide? You may say, well, what is infanticide? Infanticide is the belief that you don't even have to, you don't have to just have an abortion. You can kill a newborn outside of the womb. In fact, there are many celebrities, many uh, media pundits, media, many media outlets. It's being pushed on, on campuses, this idea of infanticide. In the Journal of Medical Ethics, there was a, an article written called, After Birth Abortion, Why Should the Baby Live? And in the article, it says this, fetuses, this is quote, fetuses and newborns do not have the same moral status as actual persons. So fetus, get that, and newborn, out of the womb, born, no status. The authors, again, this is quoting, the authors argue that what we call afterbirth abortion, killing a newborn, should be permissible in all cases where abortion is, including cases where the newborn is not disabled. The New York Times wrote an article called Why They Kill Their Newborns. It's a three-page article which is advocating the decriminalization of infanticide. But what's even worse is that the church just joins in. The Anglican Church of England, which is connected to our Episcopal denomination here in the United States, they wrote a long paper about why infanticide is a good thing. And this is coming from the heads of a denomination. And so what's going to happen in the end is that truth will be under attack. Paul warned about this in the book of Acts chapter 20 when Paul said, I know that after my departure... There are savage wolves that will come in. Now notice these words. They will come in among you. It's not the attack from without that we're worried about. It's the attack that happens from within. They will come in and they will be a part of you. And they will look like they're one of you, but their purpose is to destroy you from within. They will be savage wolves who will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Even from among yourselves will arise men speaking perversions to draw the disciples away after themselves. In other words, he's saying it's not, don't worry about what's going on in society, worry about what's going on in the church because you will have churches that will begin to speak deceptive lies that will move people away from the truth, draw people away, speak words that are merely tickling the ears of people, motivating, encouraging people, but not speaking truth because truth will not matter. Jesus said the same statement in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. In other words, they look like the sheep. They're dressed like the sheep. They pretend to be the sheep, but that's not who they really are on the inside. They are ravenous wolves. And so we have to be anchored in and attached to truth. People in the end will be encouraged to pull up anchor and drift from a fixed point. And not only will you be encouraged to, you will be intimidated to, you will be shamed, you will be ridiculed and accused if you don't go along and drift away from the truth of God's word. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, you will know the truth and it is the truth that will set you free. Anchored in the truth, walking in the truth. We've got to be people of the truth, people of sound doctrine who hold on to the truth. So Jesus says, look, that's what's going to happen. It's the number one sign that will happen at the end times. People will come in among you to lead you astray and to deceive you. Now notice what he says also. He says, for many will come in my name. This is not just an occasional person. This is not just one person. This is many will come in my name. And we learned last week what that meant. They will say, I am the Messiah. I am the Meshiach, the Messiah. I am anointed, or I have the anointing, or I am under the anointing, or I am God's representative for you. And these people who come in that manner and in that way, not only many will come, but they will lead many astray. Many will fall for it, and many will buy into it, and many will pull up their anchors, and many will drift away from the truth of God's word. And you will start to see more and more churches getting on board with things that go against God's word because they are drifting, they are being deceived, and they are deceiving. So Jesus says, look, don't be deceived, don't be led astray. Let's look at the rest of these. Sign number two, that's the first signpost, deception. Signpost number two on the road, on the road to our destination. Signpost number two is global pressures. So Jesus says, many will come in my name, many will deceive, and they will be deceived. And then he says, verse six, you will hear of wars and you will hear of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must happen, but it is not yet the end. Global pressures. These are not localized. These are not regional pressures. These are starting to happen on a global scale. So watch for these things that are happening on a global scale, on a, in a global manner. In a synoptic gospel, which is a parallel gospel saying vir virtually the same, the gospel of Luke, in Luke 21 verse 9, the writer Luke records Jesus' words in this way. Jesus was saying the same thing. Here's how Luke records it. He says, and when you hear of wars and, notice this word, and chaos. When you notice wars and chaos, don't be terrorized. What is, what is chaos? You may be asking yourself that question. What, what is exactly chaos? What should I be looking for? The word chaos is akatasia in the Greek language, and it means this. It means instability, disorder, confusion, anarchy, and revolution. How many times have you heard lately turning on the news and hearing stories of anarchy, revolution, 
We've got to throw all of this aside. That's chaos. It will be global confusion, wars, rumors of wars, chaotic confusion. There'll be talks of anarchy. There will be talks of revolution. You'll wake up one day and you'll think, wow, what happened overnight? It's different today than it was yesterday. It will be a massive disinformation and misinformation campaign that is going on and it will be on a global scale. There will be confusion, there will be chaos, there will be wars, there will be rumors of wars. And if you start thinking about this, you ask yourself the question, well, am I seeing any of that right now? Uh, am I almost seeing that on a daily basis right now? At least in our country, but it will start to happen globally. Global pressures. And what is Jesus' warning? When you hear of wars and you hear of chaos... Notice what he says, do not be terrorized. In the Matthew account, Jesus it, it records him saying, don't be alarmed. It's almost the same word in the Greek language. Don't be alarmed, don't be terrorized. Now, what do those things mean? The word alarmed or the word terrorized means to be startled, frightened, to be scared, to fly away, to flight. You know, the fight or flight scenario, it's the flight part of that. Don't be unsettled, don't be disturbed, don't be distraught, don't be upset, don't be thrown into an emotional uproar. What is going to be needed during these times are steady hands, steady hearts, steady minds holding on to the truth. Not react, re reacting, not jumping, not running away, but staying steady in the middle of this. First Peter chapter three, Peter writes this, but even if you should suffer for what is right, which we will, you are blessed. Do not be afraid or worry about their threats. Don't be afraid, don't be worried, always be ready instead to give a reason for the hope that is in you. In 2 Thessalonians, we talked about this last week, he says this, when the day comes of the return of the Lord, when, when that day comes, the day, the coming of the Lord Yeshua, and our gathering to him, he says, don't get shaken out of your mind or disturbed. That's the same thing that Jesus is saying. Look, it's going to happen. There's going to be global pressure. It's going to come against you. You're going to be tempted to fear. You're going to be tempted to be alarmed. You're going to be tempted to be emotionally a wreck. Don't be. Don't be alarmed. Don't be terrorized. Now, why would the enemy want you to be alarmed? And why would the enemy want you to be a, uh, full of fear? It's because fear does three things. Fear paralyzes, fear exaggerates, and fear steals. Fear paralyzes, meaning you are stuck. You can't move. It causes you not to do what you need to do as you approach the end. You can't tell other people about things. You can't talk to other people. You're not prepared because you're just stuck and you're paralyzed. You're exaggerating it, meaning it's far bigger in your mind than it really is. It exaggerates the problem and it steals, it robs, it takes away the joy of the Lord that you have been walking in. So Jesus says, look, you're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for notice his words for this must happen. It, it must, it's, nece uh, it's necessity. It's necessary. It has to happen. 
God has already said this has to happen. Watch for it. Don't be alarmed when it happens because it must happen. But notice what else he says. It is not yet the end. These things have to happen. They must happen. The end cannot come without these things. But when these things come, it is not the end. That's what he's saying. So he says, don't be led astray. Don't be deceived. Now he's saying, don't be alarmed. Don't be terrified. That's signpost number two, global pressure. Now look at signpost number three, because this is remarkable. Number three, first we have deception being led astray. Then we have global pressures, but now he's going to describe there's also going to be social pressures. That's number three, social pressures. Look at chapter 24, verse 7. Again, there's going to be temptations to be led astray, temptations to be full of fear. Stay fixed, stay, stay steady, don't fear. And when you see social or societal pressures, understand. He's saying, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to see nation rise up against nation. I want you to notice those words. You're going to see nation that will rise against nation. What does Jesus mean? This is not like um, Finland all of a sudden has a beef with Sweden and is going to attack. Or Belgium can't stand Luxembourg anymore, so they're going to attack. This is not talking about Thailand. Nation is the Greek word. Now notice this. It is the Greek word ethnos. What word do we get out of ethnos? We get ethnic, ethnicity. It means ethnicities, races, tribes, and people groups. You're going to see, Jesus says, a great rise of tribalism, of racial tension. You're going to see ethnic groups rise against ethnic groups. You're going to see race wars. This is not Finland against Sweden. You're going to see one group against another. Is that being pushed at all today in the narrative of our medias? Racial tension, racial wars, ethnic group against ethnic group, tribalism, division. And you will see it, he says, on a global scale. This is not isolated. This is not a local community or a region. This is on a global scale. You're going to see nation rise up against nation. And he says, you're also going to see kingdom against kingdom. Now the word kingdom in the Greek is the Greek word basileia. And it refers to two things. It's a literal physical kingdom. You're going to see one kingdom against another kingdom in a real literal physical way. But most often that word is used spiritually. And it refers to the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan who is the ruler of this world. The kingdom of light and truth coming into conflict and battle with the kingdom of darkness and lies. You will see... Not only ethnic groups against ethnic groups, but you will also see a great spiritual battle of truth versus lies, of light versus darkness. Jesus says, these are the things that you're going to see. 
The word basileia means realms, dominion, royal, uh, royal power, rule and reign. And again, it's talking both physically and spiritually. So Jesus says, here's the signposts. You're going to see deception. It's going to be on the rise, leading people astray. It's going to happen in the church. You're going to see churches walking away from truth. You're going to see global pressures, wars and rumors of wars and chaos. And it's going to feel confusing and it's going to feel overwhelming. It's going to be chaotic. And you're going to see social pressures. You're going to see people groups rising up against people groups. You're going to see race conflict. You're going to see tribalism that is going to occur And then he's going to give us the number four signpost. And the number four signpost he's going to give is ecological pressures. You're going to see social, global, you're going to see deception, and you're going to see ecological pressures beginning to occur. Look at what he says, verse 7 of Matthew 24. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. In the Synoptic Gospel of Luke, Luke records it this way in verse 11 of chapter 21, there will be great earthquakes along with famines and epidemics in various places. Notice this, there's going to be great earthquakes. Are those things happening? Are you seeing any example of great earthquakes right now that are happening within our world? Well, you may not because most of us aren't paying attention to this. Because if it doesn't have to do with Trump, it's not being reported. And so we're not paying attention to what's going on in the world. I pull out just four articles. I don't have time to get into more than that, but there's a plethora of them online. Look at some of these articles. First one is this, as the world is distracted by COVID-19, a series of large earthquakes is rocking the ring of fire. This happened on May 10th, 2020, when this story was posted. The ring of fire is a ring that runs through the Pacific Ocean, the Pacific region. It comes down into California, goes into South America, on the west side of South America, goes up into the, into the islands, it goes into not only the Australia area, but into, um, into Asia, the Asian area, Japan, uh, Indonesia, China, India, those areas. As the world is distracted by COVID-19, a series of large earthquakes is rocking the ring of fire. Let me read you a couple of quotes from that story. Within the past several days, this again on May 10th, 2020, within the last several days, large earthquakes have been striking all along the outer rim of the Pacific Ocean. And may, many are wondering if all of these, this activity could potentially be building up to something really big. On May 10th, he says, you may not have heard it yet, but a magnitude 4.5 earthquake rocked San Diego on Sunday afternoon. In fact, Caltech says that there have been 1,227 earthquakes in California and Nevada over the last seven days. Meanwhile, the section of the Ring of Fire that runs along the west coast of South America has also been getting hit pretty hard. A magnitude 5.4 quake struck northern Chile on Sunday, and that really shook up a lot of people. Subsequently, the portion of the Ring of Fire that runs along the coast of Japan was hit by a magnitude 5.8 earthquake very late on Sunday. This is the beginning of May. And that unusual event in Japan was quickly followed by a magnitude 5.6 earthquake in Indonesia. 
A 5.1 magnitude earthquake hit Iran shortly after midnight on Thursday, again back at the beginning of May. Two earthquakes were reportedly happened here in the United States at the same time in southern Tennessee. Both quakes happened near the Alabama border, about 52 miles away from Chattanooga. So as the world is distracted by the COVID-19, a series of large earthquakes are happening. Look at this next one. This is from the U.S. Geological Survey site, the website itself. Why are we having so many earthquakes? Has naturally occurring earthquake activity been increasing? Does this mean a big one is going to hit? Or we haven't had any earthquakes in a long time. Does this mean that the pressure is building up for a big one? The National Earthquake Information Center now locates about 20,000 earthquakes around the globe each year or approximately 55 per day. In Newsweek, it was reported on October 1st, just a few days ago, California hit by 400 earthquakes in swarm on San Andreas Fault as USGS warns bigger quakes could strike. A swarm of more than 400 earthquakes has hit California in the area between the San Andreas Fault and the Imperial Fault with further seismic activity and potentially larger earthquakes set to follow over the next week. Quote, during this earthquake swarm, the probability of larger earthquakes in this region is significantly greater than usual. Currently, the swarm is rapidly evolving, and we expect to update this forecast with more specific probability as we collect more data. Another one. Why have so many enormous earthquakes hit the United States in recent months? Published on October 9th, and it refers to in this story not only the ring of fire, that was reported in May. But on March 18th of this year, the earthquake that hit Salt Lake City, March 31st, one that hit in Idaho. On May 10th, one that hit in San Diego, another that hit in Tennessee. On May 15th, one that hit in Nevada. On July 22nd, a major earthquake in Alaska. On August 9th, one in North Carolina, and beginning at the end of September, beginning of October, these 400 uh, earthquakes, these swarm of earthquakes that are happening in California. And so you start to think, is something going on? Is this what Jesus was talking about? When Jesus said these words, there will be great earthquakes. Now, perhaps we have not hit a great earthquake, but it's like things are starting to heat up. And instead of looking at this, many people just want to say, well, it's the, fault of, um, it's the fault of fracking. That's why it's happening. If we weren't fracking, then it wouldn't be happening. Or it's the result of climate change. Ultimately, it's Trump's fault. We all know that. It's Trump's fault that these earthquakes are happening. But you start to think to yourself, is what Jesus talked about beginning to happen. Well, that's just the earthquakes part of it. He says something else next. He said there also is going to be, along with the earthquakes, there's going to be great famines. There's going to be famines that happen. Are we experiencing famine? Well, actually we are in a lot of ways. Again, I pulled out just four stories and I want to just read some of the quotes from these stories because these stories indicate that, yes, indeed, we are experiencing famine right now. Listen to this. World also on brink of hunger pandemic, head of UN Food Agency says. They warn that more people could potentially die 
from economic impact than from coronavirus. On April 21st of this year, the head of the United Nations Food Agency warned that the world is dealing with the coronavirus pandemic, but it is also, quote, on the brink of a hunger pandemic that could lead to multiple famines of biblical proportions within a few months if immediate action isn't taken. The World Food Program, the WFP, Executive Director David Beasley told the UN Security Council that even before COVID-19 became an issue, he was telling world leaders that, quote, 2020 would be facing the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. It's because of the wars in Syria and Yemen and elsewhere. It's because of the locust swarms in Africa, because of the natural disasters, the economic crises. Beasley said that today, 821 million people go to bed hungry every night all over the world. A further 135 million people are facing crisis levels of hunger or worse. And a new WFP analysis shows that as a result of COVID-19, an additional 130 million people could be pushed to the brink of starvation by the end of 2020. That is 1 billion people. Our planet right now has about 8 billion. One-eighth. 1 billion people dealing with this. Another story said this, the coronavirus pandemic will cause global famines of biblical proportions, the UN warns. That is a story reported actually on CNN where they said that they are warning that this chronically hungry people are going to push to more than a billion people and they're going to be in dire circumstances, circumstances and situations. Another story about the United States itself it says this, it is being projected that there could be an 8 billion meal shortage at America's food banks over the next 12 months. That's in America. This is not around the world. This is just here where we have plenty, but there's going to be an 8 billion meal shortage. This article written on October 7th, just a few days ago, it says, in 2020, we are witnessing an explosion of hunger in the United States that is unlike anything that we have seen since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Tens of millions of Americans have lost their jobs since the start of this pandemic, and money is running low for a lot of people. More Americans are slipping into poverty with each passing month, and this has created an unprecedented surge of demand at food banks across the nation. Meanwhile, our growing economic problems are also causing donations to dry up. And so many food banks are facing a major crunch as we head into 2021. In fact, the organization called Feeding America is warning that their networks of food banks is potentially facing an 8 billion meal shortage over the next 12 months. If you combine that the famines, the economic distress, and you combine it with what has happened like in Africa that has happened in Saudi Arabia through the Middle East into India, you have these, this locust invasion. And I don't know if you've been following this, but the locust stories have been putting pressure upon food supplies because these locust swarms are leaving nearly 5 million people in Africa alone facing starvation. These locust swarms that have as many as 80 million adult locusts, 80 million, the one swarm can eat as much in one day as 35,000 people would eat in one day. 
these things are happening. These things are going on around us, and Jesus says there will be great earthquakes along with famines, and the book of Luke has this added word, and there will be epidemics in various places. What's an epidemic? The word for epidemic is the word for pestilence, disease, infectious maladies. There will be plagues. There will be infections that you will begin to see. So Jesus gives four signs. He says, look, there's going to be a leading astray. There's going to be global pressures. There's going to be social pressures. And there's going to be ecological pressures. And so ask yourself these questions. What do you think? Are we there? Or if we are not there, are we experiencing the leading up to being there? Are we on what I have said before? Are we on the precipice? Are we on the edge? The knife's edge of pushing over into the end times events that Jesus himself would refer to in Matthew 24. Now, I'm going to give you one last verse out of this study. Matthew 24, that was verse 7. Let's read verse 8. Jesus says this, and this is how we're going to wrap this up today. He says, but... But all these things, what are these things? Leading people astray, global pressure, social pressure, ecological pressure. All these things are the beginning of the birth pains. They are just the beginning. These are not the end. These are not the end events. These are the beginning of the end. These are like getting on to the interstate, going up the on-ramp, getting on the interstate to go to the final destination. These are just the beginning of the signs, meaning it's going to get worse. Jesus says, and he uses this analogy, and we'll end with this. He says, these are just birth pains. These are just the beginning of the birth pains. If you are a woman in here and you have given birth, then you know what this analogy is. You know what that feels like, the beginning of birth pains. We're not there yet. It's just beginning to have contractions. And the contractions are going to grow in intensity and in frequency until we finally get to the time of travail, meaning it gets bad. Now, I watched my wife go through this. I held her hand as she went through this, but I didn't have to go through it. I had to be a part of it and witness it, and it never looked that bad to me. I mean, come on, just be realistic. It looked bad. I mean, I'm glad I never had to go through it because it looks horrible. And when the first contractions start, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's a little painful, but when the intensity ratchets up, and the frequency ratches up, and when everything starts to get into alignment and push into the final stages, that's when travail really happens. So Jesus says, look, these are just the beginning. Now, before a woman goes into having the contractions and actually into labor, at first there are sometimes false labor signs called Braxton Hicks contractions. 
And some of you ladies who've gone through this, you know what those are. They're not at regular intervals. They're not at regular amounts of pain. It's not really a part of the process. They're, they're false but real pains, but it's not part of the birth process. It's the getting ready. The body is getting ready. Maybe right now we are in the Braxton Hicks stage. We are in like contractions that are happening, COVID, the riots that we see, the, the turmoil around the world. Maybe those are Braxton Hicks contractions. Everything is getting ready. But when you see these things, Jesus, Jesus says, when you see these things, you see the leading astray happening. When you see the global pressure, the social pressure, the ecological pressure, when you see these things, it's time. These are the beginning. And it's only going to get worse from there. So prepare your heart. Prepare your life. Be anchored to the truth. Be prepared for the contractions that start to come at regular intervals, increasing in length, increasing in strength. Be ready for the travail to happen because that's when the end will occur. The travail will happen, but following the travail, the birth of the new age, the return of Jesus, the birth of his kingdom, his millennial reign that will happen. Is your heart prepared and are you watching the signs and are you ready for his return? If not, make sure you get ready. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure you have trusted in him as Lord and Savior. Said, Jesus, please forgive me. Please come into my life. I want to follow you and I want to be with you for all eternity. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we want to thank you that you have given us the clear indications, the clear signs of what will happen in the end. Lord, help us not to stick our heads in the sand. Help us not to, to just tune out, but help us to pay attention to what you say. Help us to look for the, the leading astray that will happen. Help us to stay anchored in the truth. Lord, whether people go to church here or somebody where else regularly, make sure that they are walking in the truth, anchored in the truth, not drifting away. Help us to notice and take heed when there are great pressures globally. When we see wars, when we hear of rumors of wars, when we see chaotic events, help us, Lord, to pay attention. I believe a lot of those things have already happened and are happening and will continue to happen. Lord, when we see societal pressures, we see tribalism, when we see race battles that are creeping up, help us to just know that, wait a second, this is a sign that you are giving of the end. Lord, when we see famines, and earthquakes and pestilences. When we see epidemics happening, help us to be aware and ready that you are going to return. Lord, you have said it. You have said it in your word that you are coming again. Help us not to be unaware, but aware and ready and willing to accept you. For those in this room, Lord, that have never accepted you or those that are watching who have never said, Jesus, I need a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Please come into my life. Help me to follow you. I pray that this would be the day where they make that decision. That they would say exactly what I just said. I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. And I want to walk with you. 
Lord, thank you for the time that we could share together here today. As we leave, Lord, just be with us, bless us, protect us, watch over us, go before us every step of the way, and help us to diligently follow you. Thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.